Chapter 12, Shmuel Aleph, 1 Samuel. So the end of chapter 11, Shmuel said to the people, after the great victory of Saul, defeating Nachasha Amoni, unifying the nation. At the end of chapter 11, as we have the chapters divided, strange division. Let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingship. Saul has already been anointed, one might say twice, privately, back in chapter, beginning of chapter 10, and publicly chosen by Lot at the end of chapter 10. And now, Samuel says to the people, after the great victory, let's go to Gilgal to renew the kingship. And the end of chapter 11, it says, They crowned Saul as king before God in Gilgal. And they brought sacrifices. And Saul and all of Israel held a great celebration. They were very happy. And now we have the speech of Samuel. Samuel said to all of Israel, Look, Shamati Bekochem. We are remembering what God said three times to Samuel in chapter 8. Shema Bekoram. Samuel was not happy with the decision. God said three times, Shema Bekoram. Listen to what they have to say. Obey them. So Samuel says, I listen to you. I hearken to you. I'm, I appointed a king over you. The reader might say, not exactly. God's the one who insisted that you coronate a king. But okay, Samuel says to the people, I did what you wanted. And behold, the king walks before you. I have grown old and gray. My sons are still with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this very day. So answer me before God and God's anointed one, Saul. So Samuel says to the people, testify against me in the presence of God and the anointed one. Whose ox have I taken? Whose ass have I taken? Whom, I have def- whom have I defrauded? Whom have I robbed? From whom have I taken a bribe to look the other way? I'll return it to you. Vashiv Lachem perhaps does not mean I'll return the bribe to you, but I'll respond to you. Probably a better translation. Vayomru, and they said, Lo Ashaktanu, Lo Ratzotanu, Lo Akachtim Yadish Muma. No, you took nothing from us. We're not accusing you. So you are witness. I have not done anything wrong. Yes, we are witnesses. So this is how Samuel begins his speech. And it's a chapter, actually, that's very disturbing. One of the features of the book of Samuel. It's a book in which the book makes no attempt whatsoever to apologize for its characters no attempt to hide the flaws of its characters. 
and there are many flaws. First of all, what's striking is that Samuel seems to be assuming that the choosing of a king, as he understands it, was a rejection of Samuel. Even though it was quite obvious from the earlier chapter, that's not the case at all. As long as Samuel was functioning, was young, nobody wanted to replace him. Furthermore, his sons are accused by the people of not following in, his, in Samuel's footsteps, and in fact, the text itself tells us that is 100% true. Uses very strong language, bribery, perversion of justice. They did not walk in his path. It says in chapter 8, somehow Samuel doesn't seem to hear that. My sons are with you. Yes, they are with us. That's the problem. So he's taking it all personally. What makes it even more striking is Samuel saying to the people, whose, whose animals have I stolen? Recalls verses in the book of Bamidbar in the story of the rebellion of Korach and Datam Vaviram. Datan and Aviram and Korach accuse Moshe of failure. They accuse Moshe of bringing them out of the land of milk and honey, as they call Egypt, to bring us to a desert and to kill us in the desert. And when Moshe says to Datan and Aviram, come, let's talk about it. In chapter 16 of the book of Bamidbar, they're not interested. We're not talking to you. You're not the boss. And Moshe at that point gets angry. Moshe says to God, because Moshe had said, let's bring offerings to God. Let's see the one that God chooses. At that point, Moshe gets angry. Don't, don't accept their sacrifice, says Moses. I haven't harmed any of them. I've done wrong to none of them. I haven't taken anything from them. Now, whether one thinks that Moshe is justified or not in his anger, whether one believes or doesn't believe the Torah is validating Moshe, certainly we understand Moshe. Certainly we can sympathize with Moshe's position. Whether he should have said to God, don't accept their offering, don't accept their sacrifice, that's another question. But certainly Moshe's anger, from our perspective, from the reader's perspective, is fully understandable. But over here, we don't understand Shmuel's upsetness. They didn't reject him, nor did they accuse him of doing anything wrong. They simply said, you're too old to serve. And in fact, we know that he, when he became old, he appointed his own sons as judges. So obviously he himself felt that it's a time for transition. So Shmuel's statement is disturbing from that standpoint. And then when Shmuel continues to speak, it's very striking what he says in our chapter, in chapter 12. The first thing he says, when he calls the people to judgment, as it were, calls them to trial, he begins by talking about all the kindnesses that God has shown Israel over the years, beginning with the story in Egypt, when Jacob went down to Egypt in verse number 8, and the people cried out to God, and God sent Moshe and Aaron and took them out of Mitzrayim, took them out of Egypt, when they forgot God, and we have the story of Sisra, story of Devorah in chapters 4 and 5 of Judges, and again, God sent <coughs> uh, a deliverer to save Israel, and so on throughout history, and in fact, in verse number 11, Samuel cites Yerubal, Vietbedon, 
Ed Yiftach v'yet Shmuel. Shmuel is himself, Yiftach we know, but Don is not clear, perhaps it's Shimshon, from the tribe of Don. Yerubal is Gidon. So what Shmuel says is, the optimal situation, according to Samuel, transpired in the book of Judges. When you cry out to God, God sends a deliverer, not a king, but a deliverer, a Moshiach. So Samuel harkens back to the book of Judges as the time when things were much better. That's the optimal situation. What is very strange is that the book of Judges itself doesn't seem to share that position. The book ends with a very strong uh, condemnation of the time of the Judges. In fact, the reason all these problems are happening is that there is no king in Israel. So it is very odd that for Shmuel, he looks back at the Shoftim as ideal. Furthermore, in verse number 12, when he talks about the people requesting a king, he says, When you saw Nachash, the Ammonite king, come against you, you said, No, we need a king, but God is your king. First of all, it's very strange because the text said no such thing. The text did not say that Nachash Ammoni was the reason they requested a king. Quite the opposite. The request of a king precedes that story. Nachash is a response to having a king. Second of all, God made it clear to Samuel, I have heard the people. Their cries have come to me. I want someone to save the people from the Philistines, from the Plishtim, not from Nachash Ammoni. But the verse itself, verse number 12, says it all. We now understand what Samuel meant when he said, let's go to Gilgal to renew the kingship. He wasn't referring to Saul's kingship. He's making a different point. That the true king of Israel, the true king is God. The very request for a king from Samuel's perspective, is sinful. The very request, to request the king, the king's name is Shaul, the requested one. But for Shmuel, the very request itself is problematic because God is your king. But this raises a different question, which is, how does Samuel understand the three-time repeated command, Shema B'Kolam? And he says it over here as well. Behold, I have listened to what you told me. But have you listened? You requested a king. I gave you a king. Okay, he warned them about what a king might do. And that warning was very much in place. But the book, the chapter, raises the deeper question about Shmuel's attitude towards kingship after we already have a king. We de facto have a king. And in fact, in the previous chapter, brought about a great victory. Yes, there's always the question, if God is the true king, how does this, or does it, in fact, leave room for the human king, which is the core question of the book. But the question for, our, for us in chapter 12 is, how do we understand Samuel, or how do we understand the book's position about Samuel, that on one hand, I did what you told me to do, but he marshals several arguments over here, uh, he makes several statements which are highly problematic. He assumes they want to replace him because they don't like him. They, he, he assumes that they don't trust him. Untrue. 
He assumes his son are valid, untrue. He assumes the request for the king came after Nachash, the king of Ammon, threatened to attack. Untrue. All untrue. And he also assumes, strangely enough, that the time of the Shoftim was the ideal time. Whether that's true or not is not clear. But what is certainly true is that the book of Judges doesn't see it that way. So we have a situation where the person responsible for anointing the king, for presenting the king, is very much opposed to kingship. In the next chapter we'll see the results, what happens when the person in charge of making something happen actually doesn't want it to happen.